talks about being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. How many of you know that redeemed, the word actually means to be bought back? I love that. See, the Bible teaches that we all were once slaves to sin. Amen. But I'm thankful this morning that the price for our sins have been paid. I'm thankful that Jesus paid the price at Calvary and he bought us out of our bondage. Amen. He paid for our penalty at the cross so that we could go free, so that we could truly experience this life that he has given to us. It's such a precious gift. I'm so thankful for that today. Thankful that I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, not because of, of who I am, because of who he is. What a blessing that truly is. Y'all did a great job this morning as always, leading us into the presence of God through, uh, through praise and worship. I'm so thankful for you. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at several verses there this morning. If you remember, two weeks ago I began a series of messages entitled Harmony in the Home. And we started these messages in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, because it's in the book of Genesis that we find God's divine design for the family, for marriage itself. Um, and we saw there in the book of Genesis that God created man and God created woman in his image. God created male and female, the Bible says. If you believe it today, say amen. See, that's what God created, male and female and he created male and female for the purpose of them being different but coming together as one so that they might the bible what what the bible says be fruitful and multiplied you remember that in genesis 1 26 and 27 uh and then on in verse number 28 how it's, god commanded adam to uh for him and his wife to become one flesh and that they should be fruitful, multiply, and the Bible then says to subdue the earth. So the picture is this. It's that God wanted to take man in his image, woman in his image. They were to come together, be fruitful and multiply, so that the image of God might be multiplied across the whole earth. So that the image of God might subdue the whole earth. So the picture that we see here in what the theologians call the Adamic covenant is that God wants to use the vehicle of the family to spread his image across the whole planet. Can you say amen? That has been God's plan since Genesis 1, since the beginning. Now, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey the Lord in Genesis 3, we know that that plan got hindered. See, instead of Adam spreading the image of God, Adam began spreading the image of Adam. Can you say amen? That all men were then born into sin with a sinful nature. But this morning, I'm so very thankful that what Adam messed up and got wrong at, at the at the in the garden, Jesus made right uh, at the cross. What Adam failed in in the garden, Jesus succeeded in at the cross. Listen to me, folks. It's now because of a personal relationship with Jesus who, that everybody who trusts in him can receive that we can now again spread the image of God across the whole earth. Because now God lives in me in the person of the Holy Spirit as a believer. And God lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit as a believer. And God, I believe, still wants to use the family unit to spread His image. See, the truth is we live 
in a fallen creation. We live in a sinful, dark world. If you don't believe me, just turn on your evening news when you get home this evening, and you can see full well that we live in a fallen creation. And I believe the majority, I'm convinced, that the majority of the sin that we see running rapid in our world today can be traced right back uh, to the failure in the home. It really can. Now, we've got problems in our world. We've got problems in the White House. We've got problems at the State House. But I'll tell you this, the problems that we need to be concerned about and the problems that we must be working on above everything else is not the problems in the White House or at the State House, but the problems in our house. On the family level, because it's the problems on the family level that we can fix and truly make a difference. Can you say amen? You can and we should make a difference starting in our home, starting at our doorstep. Now the book of Genesis, uh, we saw that men and women were created differently by the Lord. Now that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing because God made us different so that he might make us one. God made us as two people different so that he could bring us together as one flesh. And we found out that, listen, God uh, created us differently physically speaking. God created us different emotionally speaking. God created us different psychologically speaking. We're just different. And we're different because we've been created for different purposes. Now, let me say something to you folks. That does not mean that anyone, the husband or the wife, the male or the female, is of any more importance than the other because they're not. How many of you know we are equal in importance, we're just not same. We're just not the same thing. And man, if there's ever been a message from the Word of God that needs to be preached today, it's that one. Yes, we are equal. Yes, God wants to use me as a husband and father for his honor and his glory. And God wants to use my wife as a wife and mother for his honor and his glory. And he can and will do that. We are equal in importance, but we are not same. The Bible says that God died for the Jew and the Gentile, the Greek and, the, and, the, and, and, and every nationality, he's, he tells us in his word. And then he says, for the male and female, we are all one in Christ. We are all of the same importance before the Lord. Jesus died for the male, just like he died for the female. But we are not, we're equal, but we're not same. You need to understand that. We've got to get a hold of that today. Now, what the Bible gives us in the book of Genesis is God's divine design. We fast forward now to Ephesians chapter 5 and the word of God, the apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit moves on from the divine design and gives us divine direction. He tells us how the family unit is to operate, gives us direction as to what a, a man and woman is supposed to be in the home. And man, it's so powerful when we take this and apply it to our lives. How many believe that God, God's word works when you work it? But we've got to work it. We've got to apply it unto ourselves. Now, every time that you hear a pastor talk about going to Ephesians chapter number 5, and we're talking about the family, uh, the, the, the ladies in the crowd usually wince and say, man, I, I'm telling you, he's going to preach about submission again. Now, let me tell you something, ladies. I want you to know that um, that is in here. But we're going to find that the weight of this scripture lands much more on the husband 
than it does on the wife. So let's start reading in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse number 18, and we're going to read through about verse number 29. Look what the Bible tells us. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. How many of you understand that none of us, whether we be husbands or wives, will ever be able to be what God has saved us to be without the filling, the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. See, folks, it's impossible for me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. It's not difficult. It's impossible in my own power to do that. I need the Holy Spirit of God working on me, working in me, and working through me to do that right there. It's impossible for women to come under the subjection of their husband the way Bible, the Bible teaches us to. It's impossible for you to do that in your own power. You've got to have the filling of the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself working on you, working in you, and working through you. So Paul starts all of this by saying, don't be filled with wine, which is excess, which don't mean anything, but be filled with with the Spirit. Allow God to work on you. Allow God to work in you. And allow God to work through you. And that's the first step of us being what God wants us to be in the marital relationship, in the family itself. Let's go on. He says, be filled with the Spirit in verse 18. Verse 19 says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things of God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Then it says in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is also the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loves himself. Verse 29 says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being who you are, for doing what you've done. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for grace and mercy, for, Lord, we all need grace and mercy. I'm thankful, Lord, that your mercy is new every morning because, Lord, I need it this morning. I need it right now. Lord, I need your grace and favor to be what you've called me to be, what you've saved me to be. I need your power, Holy Spirit, to work on me, work in me, and work through me to accomplish the task of preaching your word. I can't do it, but Lord, I know you can. So I'm asking you to move me out of the way and use me as your mouthpiece to speak your truth to these people. I'm praying that hearts and lives be changed today. I'm praying that you convict hearts where hearts need convicting, that you comfort where comfort is needed, that you do exactly what is necessary in the hearts and lives of all these people. We pray, Lord, that you do the work, for if you don't do the work, it'll never get done. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and for your sake, amen. Now there's three things that I want to share with you this morning concerning this scripture, three main points. First of all, I want you to know that marriage is a blessing and not a curse. If you believe it today, say amen. 
It's a blessing and not a curse. And I need to say that. We must say that because a lot of people have a great misconception about marriage. I'll never forget years ago, right before I was about to get married, I'd been working with the highway department at that time for about a year and a half, something like that. And I'd gotten to uh, be good friends with one of the older gentlemen that worked there. And he knew that I was leaving that Friday evening and would be married uh, marrying my wife that Saturday evening. So the Friday evening before I left work, he called me to the side and he said, young man, do you know what the difference is between a marriage ceremony and a funeral? And I said, I really don't. He said, the only difference between a marriage ceremony and a funeral is that one, you're standing up. I mean, that was, that, that was his view of marriage. Dr. Tony Evans says it like this. He said, that even though we are married by the justice of the peace, it looks as though in most marriages we've been married by the secretary of war. And that's really the truth. A lot of people uh, see marriage that way. They see marriage not as a blessing, but as a curse. Now, folks, let me tell you what I know, what I believe with all my heart according to the Scripture. I believe that God wants us to have a marriage we enjoy and not a marriage that we just have to endure. What about you? Now, is there going to be times in your life, in your marriage, that you have to endure one another? Absolutely. See, my wife has told me before that she, uh, she chooses to love me. She said, right now, I, I don't really want to love you, but I choose to love you. <laughs> and so there's going to be times in your marriage that, listen, you're going to have to choose to love one another. You're going to have to choose to serve one another. There are going to be some times that you must endure because how do you know there are no perfect marriages? I'm telling you folks, my, I've got a great marriage. I'm so thankful for the woman that God has blessed me with. She is a great blessing to me and my babies and I'm thankful for it. But even though we've got a great marriage and I wouldn't take nothing for it, we don't have a perfect marriage. Nobody does. We're all still working at this thing. We're all still growing in this thing. And, but I can tell you this, even though you're going to have to endure, there should be some enjoyment. Amen? And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to experience the blessing of marriage. Now, how many times have I told you, if we're going to be blessed in our lives, we've got to do life God's way. If you want God's blessing, you've got to do it God's way. Amen? Now, if you want blessing in your marriage, you've got to do marriage God's way. Let me give you some scripture that I believe proves that marriage is truly a blessing and not a curse if you choose to do marriage the way God has intended marriage to be done. Proverbs 18.22, I love this verse. Um, guys, you need to write this down and keep it on your heart, memorize it. Remember what a blessing that you've been given in the person of your wife. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whosoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I love that. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. Look how Peter puts it here. I love how he says this. He says in First Peter 3 and 7, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. That means, uh, husbands, you ought to pay attention to your wife. You ought to study your wife just like you're about to take a pop test. See, there should never be a time that your wife goes out and gets a, a new hairdo and you don't recognize it when, when she comes home. It ought to take you two or three days. If she goes out and buys a new outfit, you know the reason she may be buying that new outfit is to get your attention? So you know to dwell with her according to knowledge. When you see it on her, tell her how good it looks on her. Amen? She needs to hear that. And vice versa, same thing for you wives when speaking to your husbands. It works when you do it God's way. Dwell with them according 
to knowledge. Study them. What do they like? What do they dislike? Listen, what makes them tick? That's what you need to know. That's what you need to be dwelling with them according to knowledge. That's what the Bible means. Giving honor unto the wife as in the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. And everybody say grace of life. I love that phrase. Let me give you my favorite, my absolute favorite commentary on the grace of life. It means together we inherit the blessing of marriage according to J. Vernon McGee. I like that. Together, when we come together as one, like God has intended it to be, when we dwell with one another according to knowledge, when we do marriage God's way, we can inherit the blessing of life, the blessing of marriage itself. Ble uh, marriage is a blessing and not a curse. If you believe it, say amen today. Number two, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant, not a disagreement. Now, what do I mean when I say covenant? We've talked about this several times in the past two weeks because God entered into covenant relationship with us. And one of the greatest covenants that we have before the Lord is the covenant of marriage. It's very important. It's very powerful. It's so powerful, so important, that when God uses, uh, when God describes the marital relationship between a husband and a wife, he, he uses the analogy of Christ and the church. That's how much God thinks of marriage. The covenant of marriage is a very important covenant, very powerful covenant. Now, a covenant is a sacred agreement that happens between two or more parties. Now, you need to understand, when you enter into the marital covenant, not only are you making a commitment to your husband or to your wife, whatever the case may be, but you're making a commitment, a triune covenant before the Lord. You're entering into a covenant relationship, not just with your marital partner, but with God himself. And that's, a, again, a very powerful thing, very important thing. And God takes it very seriously. I'm going to tell you something. You ought to take it very seriously. God is for marriage. God blesses marriage. Marriage ought to be a priority in your life. It's very, very important. To God and to us. Now listen to me. When I'm talking about you entering into covenant relationship with God, how do you understand God's covenant is based upon His Word? So really what I'm saying when I enter into this marital covenant with my wife, I'm saying, I'm promising not only to my wife but before the Lord that I'm going to be the husband that God has set forth in His Word for me to be. That's me entering into this covenant. Not just with her, but before the Lord. Same things for you, wife. When you enter into this marital covenant, you're saying to the Lord, I'm going to be the wife that your word has told me I should be. That's a very important, very powerful thing. It is a covenant relationship, not just between you and your spouse, but both of you before the Lord. Now, again, God gave us his divine design in the book of Genesis, chapters 1, 2, and 3. But then he gives us divine direction by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, this direction, again, the weight of this scripture is mainly upon the husband. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The Bible says in 
Ephesians 5.21 that we are to submit ourselves, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then he says, verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as in the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, so many people, men and women, misinterpret this scripture greatly. I can promise you, God holds the husband to a higher standard in the marital relationship than he does the wife. He really does. That's why I say the weight of this scripture falls upon the husband. Let me tell you why. Because as men, as husbands and fathers, we are given responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. I told you last week, and I'm going to keep telling you, we've got to get a hold of this. God has given the man the headship in the home, but with that headship comes great responsibility. So I want to give you four things that as uh, what we need to do, four things men need to do in the home, four things husbands need to do. And the first one is assume responsibility. Now let me tell you what that means and what that doesn't mean. What that means is, first and foremost, Listen, men, you are not here to be served or to have your needs met. You are here to meet needs. Those who have an ego problem, those who um, have a false um, masculinity and and really a a false manhood according to the Word of God, they've got that attitude, I am man, hear me roar. I, I say what goes around here, and if you don't like it my way, it's the highway. And that's how a lot of men view headship in the home. Let me tell you something. If that's your idea of headship, then you've got the wrong idea. You are not here to have your needs met. You are here to meet the needs of your family, just like Christ meant the greatest need of the church. Can you say amen to that? That, That's what a godly man is all about. That's what a man um, who is really assuming his responsibility in the home, that's what he's doing. He's meeting needs. I was talking to a dear brother in Christ just a few weeks ago, and he said something to me that I absolutely loved. He was talking about his uh, teenage son. And he said his teenage son is 17, 18 years old, and they were having some problems with him, you know, coming home later than when he's supposed to come home, and he wasn't doing the things that his dad was wanting him to do around the house anymore. And he was kind of just getting too big for his britches, like all 17, 18-year-old kids sometimes do, like I once did. And he said that his, as a father, that dad sat him down, began to talk to him. And he said, buddy, I want to tell you, you know, if I tell you to be in at this time, you need to be in at this time. If I tell you to do this or your mama tells you to do something around the house, you need to do that because, you know, we've still got authority in, in this household. If you're going to live under our roof, you're going to abide by our rules. And so he's going through all this with him. And, and, and the young man kind of uh, puckered out his chest and blowed his chest up. And, and he said, well, Dad, I'm a man now. I'll make my own decisions. And I do what I want to do. Because I'm a man. And the father said, it took all I could do to be humble in that moment. He said, but, but what I did, I just said, son, if you really want to be a man, being a man is not doing what you want to do, but doing what you need to do. I like that. See, there's going to be a lot of times that we don't want to do what we need to do. But being a man is doing what we need to do, even when we don't want to do it, so that we might meet the needs of our family. And I think we've lost that today. I need to get it back. Because that that's what really makes all the difference. Assuming responsibility is not about having your needs met, but, but, but meeting the needs that your family has. It's not always easy. 
to do what's necessary, but it's worth it. So to be the head in your family means that you are held responsible. It means that you're not there to have your needs met, but to meet needs. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. The Bible says that the, the wife is to be subject to their own husband. What does it mean that the wives are to be subject to their husband or to come under the submission of their husband? Well, the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is also the head of the church. It says it right here in Ephesians 6.22, but that's not the only place. I also want you to look for me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 3. 1 Corinthians 11 and 3. Son, go get me a wet paper towel, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Let's just start in the first verse. Watch this. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep uh, the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But what, what I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Now watch this. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God the Father. Does everybody see that scripture? What the Bible is giving us here is spiritual alignment. It's how God has set all this up. It's how God has set up the family unit. Amen? And he says that spiritual alignment looks like this. He says, first of all, we have God at the top above everything else. God the Father. And then he tells us that after God the Father, we have God the Son. And then after God the Son, we have men who have trusted in Jesus and are following him um, as Savior. So, God the Father, that's too wet. So, we have God the Father at the top. Under God the Father, we have the Lord Jesus. Under the Lord Jesus, then we have the husband. And under the husband, we then have the wife and children. So, I want you to think about it like this. That's still too wet. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right, buddy. You, you've got to keep that in proper alignment if you want God's blessing in your home. According to what 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 tells us, according to what Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 tells us, God's got to be the head, then we know Christ put himself under submission to God the Father, according to Philippians chapter 2. We'll read that in just a moment. And then it says the, the, the man, the husband, is to put himself under the authority of Christ, under the headship of Jesus. Now let me tell you something, guys. You can't expect your wife and children to come into submission to you unless you put yourself into submission to Jesus. And I'll go as far as to say this. If, you've got, if there's a husband in the home who's not putting himself under the submission of Christ, many times the wife don't need to put herself under the submission of, husband, of the husband. You've got to keep it in proper alignment if you're going to be what God wants you to be in the family unit. If you want 
marriage to be a blessing and, and there to be blessing in your home. That's what the Bible's telling us here. Now, let me tell you this, though. Listen. Just because the wife is called to be under the, the headship of her husband, to come under submission to her husband, does not mean in any way that the wife is inferior to her husband. I want you to think of it like this. I can explain things a lot better when we're talking in terms of football. So bear with me. Just let, let, Let's think about this. On a football team, you've got a coach. And the coach... He's the one who has the playbook. He's the one who gives the playbook. But when the team actually goes out and takes the field, there's somebody else who has authority when they've got the ball offensively. Now, who do you think has the authority on the field um, when the team is out there on offense? Who do you think that is? Well, it's the quarterback. The quarterback calls the play that the coach gives in the huddle, and it's, uh, the, uh, uh, it's up to the quarterback. It's the responsibility of the quarterback that that play is ran and executed on the field. And then you've got everybody else on the team doing their part to make the play successful. Now let me ask you this. Is the quarterback always the most talented man on the team? No, but matter of fact, very seldom is the quarterback the most talented man. I mean, there's usually somebody that's always faster than a quarterback, can jump higher than the quarterback, that's bigger and stronger than the quarterback, but the quarterback is the one who's been given authority by the coach, and the coach is the one who has the playbook. You say, Rosal, what in the world does that have to do with the marital relationship, with the family? Well, God is the coach, can you say amen? He's the one who has the playbook. He's the one who has given us the playbook of how this thing is supposed to line up, of how the play is supposed to be ran, and so that we might be effective on the field. Can you say amen? And the field is the day-by-day -day operations in which we live in our home. And so God gives the play. The play then goes to the quarterback. The husband is supposed to be the quarterback. He has authority on the field to execute the play. Does that mean he's the most talented? Does that mean that in any way the other players are inferior to him? Absolutely not. He just has authority. The authority that's been given by the coach. And he's the coach because he's got the playbook. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now listen to me. Ladies, don't think for a minute that just because you put yourself in submission to your husband, you are inferior to him. Because that, I know that might rub you the wrong way. That's not what God's Word is teaching. That is not biblical submission. As a matter of fact, do you know that Jesus put himself in submission to God the Father? Philippians chapter 2, watch. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Now, let me ask you this. Is Jesus in any way inferior to God the Father? Is Jesus God the Son just as much God as God the Father? Well, of course He is. There's no inferiority or superiority in the heaven, in the, in the, in the, in the Trinity. 
and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all three one God revealed to us in three different personalities. All three God. But we do see God the Son putting himself in submission to God the Father to come to this earth, be born in the likeness of a man so that he might do for men what men can't do for themselves. Now, the same is true when we're talking about biblical submission in marriage. It doesn't mean that the wife is in any way inferior to her husband. What it does mean is that you line things up the way God has lined it up. For what reason? Well, so that you can experience the blessing of God. So that you can spread God's image across the earth. So that you can finally fulfill the command God gave Adam all the way back in Genesis chapter number 1. Is this making sense to you? But it's important that we do this. We've got to apply this to our life. So not only is the man to assume responsibility, but let me tell you what else the man does. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.22 that uh, the responsibility is ours, guys. Um, and it is. Let, let me ask you this. If, if a football team is doing good and scoring 50 points a game and winning, it, winning against everybody they play, who usually gets the credit? Well, the quarterback does most of the time. Everybody wants to talk about the quarterback, what he done, how he did it, how good he is. But what happens when that team starts losing? Who gets the credit? Well, it's usually the quarterback. He, they talk about how sorry he is and how he ain't no count and need to get another quarterback. Why? Because either way, he has responsibility. Ultimately, the buck stops with him, and the same is true for us. And let me tell you something, guys. You can delegate authority, but you cannot delegate responsibility. There's going to be some things in your home that your wife handles a whole lot better than you. I can promise you there's a lot of things in my home my wife handles a whole lot better than me. And so you know what I say? Honey, you take care of that. You deal with that. That's your thing. Go do it because you'll do it better than I ever could. I can delegate authority and say, you go do that. But I can't delegate responsibility. If that falls flat, it's not her responsibility. It's my responsibility. Just like when the team loses, the quarterback gets the credit, even though it may not be his fault. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's always our responsibility. And ladies, you ought to like that. You really should. That's like I told you last week when Priscilla Shower always says that biblical submission is about ducking so that God can hit your husband. We can delegate authority. We cannot delegate responsibility. So we've got to assume responsibility. The second one, very quickly, we've got to protect our wife from emotional hardships. Now, what I mean by that, look down with me um, to verse number, go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Look down with me to uh, verse number 27. The Bible says that we do this so that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, Watch this now. Or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. He's making again the comparison to Christ and the church. And he says that as Christ doesn't want his church to have any spot or wrinkle, we don't want our wives to uh, have that as well. We want to make sure we protect her from any kind of emotional abuse she might receive. Now, I want to focus on two words. It says spot and wrinkle. What does the word spot mean? The word spot means trash. Any kind of trash um, that is, uh, is thrown in the garbage is really what that's talking about. Let me tell you what I believe God's word is saying here to the husband concerning the wife. Do you know, husbands, it's your job to make sure that nobody dumps on your wife? Do you know that? 
Do you know the Bible says that you are to leave and cleave unto your wife? You are to leave your mother and your father, cleave unto your wife, and the two should be one flesh. Let me tell you what I see so many times. You have a wife that is continually being dumped on by the husband's family. And that causes turmoil like you have never seen before in your life. Let me tell you something, husband. I don't care who it is. They don't get to dump on my wife. Amen? They don't get to unload on my wife. They don't get to talk bad about my wife. Protect your wife from emotional abuse. I think that's exactly what he's saying right here. Then it says wrinkle. What does it mean? It's not talking about wrinkles that we all have, like the laugh lines and the uh, wrinkles on the face. What this means is an internal wound. We must protect our wives from internal wounds. I can promise you this. A husband's greatest need is to be respected by his wife. Husbands, would you agree with it this morning if I said... Your greatest need is to be respected. See, if I know my wife respects me, I'm telling you, I can take on hell with a water pistol. I promise you. If I know she's got my back, if I know she's for me, if I know I have her respect, that means the world to me. But I also believe the greatest need of a wife is to feel loved by her husband. Look with me, if you will, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, why does the Bible say that? Because God knows our greatest need as men is to be respected by our wives, and the greatest need of women is to be loved by their husbands. Now, let me tell you what will cause a wrinkle or a deep internal wound that takes years to heal. When your wife... Husbands don't feel like she's number one in your life. That causes a wound deep down on the inside. That's the problem with pornography. That's why it's killing marriages everywhere. Because let me tell you what the wife feels like. The wife feels like she's not enough. And she's not number one. That's why homes are being wrecked everywhere by infidelity. Because they don't feel like they're enough or feel like they're number one so you have got to guys protect your wife from spot don't let nobody dump on her or wrinkle listen to me now those eternal wounds that come and we don't love them like we should so number one we assume responsibility number two we protect them from any kind of emotional abuse number three let me give you this and i'm done the bible says that we love them as Christ loved the church. Look in Ephesians 5, 25. Again, the weight falls on the husband here. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I want you to um, skip down from verse 25, and the Bible tells us how we do that um, in, in verse number 29, 30, and 31. Excuse me, let's start at verse 28. So all men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but watch this, nourishes it and cherishes it. Even as the Lord, the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So what's the Bible saying? To love our wives as Christ loves the church is to nourish and cherish our wife. To nourish is to provide needs. 
Physical needs, yes, that's our responsibility. I want to make sure that my wife's basic needs are met. Amen? I want to be a good provider in my home. But not only are we supposed to provide physical needs, but also emotional needs. Talk to your wife. Talk to her about what's good. Talk to her about what's bad. Let her know you are concerned with what's going on with her and let her know you want to tell her what's going on with you. It's very, very important. I know that's tough sometimes. Statistics tell us that men speak usually about 12,000 words a day. That's about what we speak. That's about our limit. Do you know how many words women speak a day? About 22,000. Let me tell you the problem a lot of times. A lot of times what happens when a man's been at work all day and he's been uh, handling things and he's handling at work and talking to his buddies at work, by the time he gets home, he's already spoke out his 12,000 words. And his wife is just getting started. She wants to talk. She wants to tell you about what's going on with her. She wants to tell you about what's going on with the family. She wants to tell you about what's going on with everything. She wants to know who you worked with, how they're doing, how their mom and them's doing. She wants to know all that. And all you want to do is sit down and be quiet because you've already spoke your 12,000 words. But for us to be effective as husbands, we need to show a little grace Amen? And take the time to spend time with our wives and not only provide their needs physically, but provide their needs emotionally. Talk to them. It's not a bad thing that your wife wants to know how your day's going. It's not a bad thing that your wife wants to know what's going on with you, what's bothering you. Guys, do you ever get mad when your wife keeps saying what's wrong with you? Sometimes that gets under my skin. And I, and, but then the Lord enlightened me to something. It's not a bad thing that your wife's concerned about you. That's a good thing. So when she asks you, tell her. Confide in her. Meet her needs physically. Meet her needs emotionally. Man, that is so true. We need to nourish her. But let me tell you something else. We need to cherish her. Show her how much we love her. Initiate Initiate love towards your wife. It's not her job to initiate love toward you. It's your job to initiate love toward her. Why? Because that's how Jesus did it. You know what the Bible says in the book of Revelation? That Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anybody will open the door, he will come in and sup with him. He will come in and, and, and fellowship with him. Can you say amen? But a Jesus, Jesus initiates the contact. He initiates the love. Same thing in Romans chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. You know what the Bible says? That nobody seeks after God. Everybody goes their own way. Nobody was looking for the Lord, but the Lord came looking for us. Why? Because He initiates that love toward you and me. If we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we need to do the same thing. We need to show her daily how much we love her, that she is... Number one in our lives. Your wife needs to know that she is number one above your children and she should be. The greatest gift you can give your kids is for them to feel secure in the relationship between their mom and daddy. And when they see that daddy loving a mama like Christ loves the church, I'm telling you something. It makes all the difference. So she needs... She needs to know that, that she's above your children, that she's above your mom and daddy, that she's above your buddies, that she's above your hobbies. She needs to know and feel like she is cherished. Nourished, yes, but cherished. I heard a story one time about a lady who went into a 
catatonic state. She wouldn't respond to anybody. Just sat all day staring off out into space. And nobody could do nothing for her. Her family came and talked to her and tried to snap her out of it. Friends came to talk to her, tried to snap her out of it, nothing worked. They took her to doctor after doctor after doctor, and finally they took her to this psychiatrist, and he, she's sitting down across the table from the psychiatrist, and he talked to her for a little while, nothing happened, still in that catatonic state, staring straight ahead off out into space. And so all of a sudden, he just gets up, goes over, puts his arm around that woman, and kisses her right on the lips. And automatically, she woke up, started smiling, started laughing, started talking, was back to normal. And the psychiatrist looked over at her husband. He said, she needs that seven days a week. And the husband said, I can get her here six days, but I'll never be able to make it on Thursday mornings. <laughs> now, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. It's, it's nobody else's job to cherish your wife and to show her physically, emotionally, and psychologically, how much you love her. That's your job, man. I had a man tell me one time, I was preaching a message about like this. I said, you need to tell your wife every day you love her and show her every day that you love her. And after the service, dear gentleman, come up to me in the back of the church, dear brother in Christ. He liked to pick at me. Loved to have a good time. He said, Pastor. I told my wife I loved her 53 years ago when we said I do. If anything changes, I'll let her know. <laughs> now, men, that's not, that should never be our attitude. Let her know every day that you love her. Now, let me ask you something, ladies. If you've got a, a wife, or excuse me, if you've got a husband who's doing all the things that I just talked about, I'm talking about assuming responsibility in the home. I'm talking about letting her know that she's number one. About everything. I'm talking about a husband that protects you emotionally, that won't let nobody dump on you, that's always nourishing and cherishing you. If you've got a husband who's doing all that, won't it be a whole lot easier for you to submit to that man? Won't it be a whole lot easier for you to respect that man? See, guys, you need to understand something. Respect is not given. It's earned. It's earned. If you want it, earn it. It makes all the difference in your marriage. I love you. Praise God for you. I'm praying for your homes. I'm praying for your marriages. I'm praying that God would use us to continue the work of spreading his image. Amen? Everybody stand together this morning. I'm just going to pray for you as a way of dismissal. We're not going to have an invitation today. Before we do close today, I want to uh, remind everyone, next Sunday evening, we're going to have our annual 4th of July family cookout here at the church. All that's going to start at 5 o'clock next Sunday evening. We're going to try to eat about 5.30, maybe around 6. We'll be having a cornhole tournament, uh, games for the kids. We're going to have uh, fireworks after it gets dark. So we're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of fellowship, a lot of fireworks. And I'm asking that your family comes together and be a part of that with us. All of that will happen next weekend starting at 5 o'clock next Sunday evening. We will not be having small group lessons tonight. We're going to start all that back week after next. All right? We'll start all that back when we come back after the 4th in the month of July. Okay?
Is there anything else we need to announce this morning before we get started? 